down to Smart. Bounce pass Tatum. Tatum puts up a three. Bang! Jason Tatum from downtown. 1.3 remaining. No timeouts left for Philadelphia. All right, welcome to another edition of One in a Million. I am your host, Roland Million. Uh, the last time we spoke was probably about two months ago. Uh, I had to cut down on my, I know I was trying to get back into things, but I had to focus on my own basketball team. So, you know, I don't do, but I don't try to do podcasts when I'm really focused on what's going on with the team. Some people do, Draymond, but me, not so much. So uh, I had to focus on the team. Uh, the team did well, finished up well, finished up strong, didn't quite make the postseason, but they ended on a high note, went in their last five games, uh, so I was very proud of those girls. Um, in regards to where we left off, the last time I think we were talking about Jokic, uh, we were talking about his skill set and his level of just being able to take over and, and will his team to wins. You know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, he's padding stats and, you know, Kendrick Perkins and, and Draymond Green are talking about why isn't there the same amount of scrutiny when it comes to talking about European players um, winning a finals and getting to finals as there is on other players. And this is the prime example of me that they didn't pay attention to what was going on in the media or they probably didn't watch basketball as much as they claim they watch basketball. Like, again, like I say, watching a few highlights, uh, looking at a few messages on, on social media when social media was around, that doesn't really t- tell the story. If you think back, if you want to ask somebody how come they don't get as much scrutiny, go to Dirk Nowitzki. That is one person who received so much scrutiny over his entire career. When he first came into the league, he was told that he was too soft. Uh, He gets an MVP, and everybody criticizes his his MVP that he gets. Oh, well, he lost in the first round. He's never going to win a championship. He was called soft when they lost in the finals. They criticized him for his toughness, his mental toughness, him missing free throws in, I think it was game three of the 2006 NBA Finals, and then Dwayne Wade ends up scoring 12 points. Now, the media criticized Dirk for missing those free throws, even though his team had lost the lead. He received so much scrutiny, it wasn't even funny. And then, after that, he goes on and they win 67 games, I believe, the next year in 2007. And then they lose in the first round of the playoffs. You don't think Dirk Nowitzki heard all this scrutiny? He heard so much scrutiny. If you go back and look, read the papers, look at some of the things that were being said about Dirk, you'll see that Europeans did get all this scrutiny. You just have to look. You know, obviously it's not the same way of scrutiny that there is today, but in regards and comparison to what scrutiny was like back then in like the 2000s, uh, mid-2000s, he did receive a lot of scrutiny comparable to what the scrutiny that people receive today when they don't win a championship. 
Now, with that being said, do I think Nikola Jokic deserves more scrutiny? Absolutely. 100% he deserves more scrutiny. Because, I mean, he's been in the league for eight years. He's 28 years old. He's a five-time All-Star, I think four-time All-NBA, and he's been a two-time MVP. But yet and still, he still hasn't been to the NBA uh, Finals. I mean, you think about all the scrutiny that MJ received for not making it to the Finals or not winning a Finals, and you think about all the scrutiny LeBron received. But the only thing that I'm going to say is that in the history, in the courts of history, in the history of the NBA, saying that European players did not receive scrutiny you, you can't say that and then expect us to take you seriously about you knowing the history of the game because Dirk Nowitzki will tell you, I received as much scrutiny as you could possibly receive around that time and for that time. They called me soft. They told him that he wasn't able to finish. They said that he wasn't strong enough and his game wasn't compatible. He wasn't going to be successful in the NBA. And even when time dwindled and people thought it was never going to happen, he found a way and he made it happen in 2011. So he definitely received a lot of scrutiny. But to say that European players don't receive the scrutiny, yes, I, I, I mean, yes and no, okay? European players did get scrutiny when you're talking about the history of the game. Is Jokic getting as much scrutiny as he should receive? No, I don't think he is because, I mean, you're 28 years old going on 29. Um, actually, he just turned 28. I'm sorry. So he's 28 years old. He's about the same age as Dirk Nowitzki. And this is around the time that everybody was giving him scrutiny. Now, we're all praising him because he's having a great season. He's having an MVP season. Now, at the same time, if he doesn't get to the finals this year, then there needs to be a little bit more talk about how he's not getting his team and pushing his team over the hump. Regardless of who's on the court with him or not, there needs to be some talk about it. Now, next topic, uh, the All-Star Game. I watched a little bit of the All-Star Game and then I went to bed. Uh, now, I know everybody's saying, well, this is the way that these players want to play it. But at the same time, the viewership is awful. But some of the players, a lot of the players, they were like, this was not a basketball game. This was not real basketball. And some of the players don't like it. And I think, although it might sound crazy, I think we should go back to the old way of playing the All-Star game, where it's East versus West. I would much rather like it like that. And then go back to the old way of, you know, whoever wins gets home court advantage in the finals. Then you're going to start to have people play. I mean, if you go back and look at some of those games, you know, we're, we're, we're playing this game of, well, we don't want to get hurt and we don't want to do this, which makes it tougher for these players in the playoffs to actually play through pain. Because a lot of the times in the playoffs, depending on how far you go, you're going to have to play through pain. You're going to have to play hurt. And we keep coddling a lot of these players, when half of the time, as Paul George said on on a uh, 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 podcast, half of the time these guys don't even practice. So if they're not practicing, what are we load managing them for? W what is the point of it? You have a job to do. Your job is to go out there and play. If you're not going to do it during practice time and then also not going to do it in game time, like w w what is the point?
what what is the point of doing it? And maybe it's because people aren't as passionate about the game as as much. I don't think it's that. I think the people are just as passionate. I think these owners need to do a better job of managing what's going on with their team and not allowing this load management stuff because you're not going to win a championship like that. I haven't seen a team that load managed where they sat there and just missed a whole bunch of games and didn't practice, mind you, and then won a championship. Now, people could go back to the Spurs. You know, the Spurs won in 2014. They load managed, but they practiced. Like, everybody knew they practiced. Tony Parker talked about how they practiced and they they sometimes went too hard in practice and then did multiple overpass drills to get connection and chemistry with the team. That's the problem. If you have this AAU mentality where you're not going to practice and one player goes from another team and goes to another team and then they don't practice, they don't have chemistry, but then... Like you want to sit out during games because, you know, or not play hard during games because this team is not up to par or not up to competition, then you're never going to win. You're never going to learn how to get a, a championship and you're never going to learn how to work through injuries and through the trenches. And that's my whole spiel. Like, I think that we should go back to the old way of playing the all star game. I think we should go back to the old way of playing basketball where. If you're not going to practice, then you're going to play in the games. If you're not going to play in the games and and load manage, then you need to be practicing. Something needs to be done because I hate this brand of basketball and I don't like watching it. I still watch it because I love basketball and I can't I'm a I'm a basketball junkie. I can't stop watching basketball, but I I hate what's going on. I want a competitive game. I want I want it to be I want it to be hard. And maybe that comes with a 66-game season. Now, I wouldn't like it, but the games will probably mean more now because you can't load manage. Because if you have a 66-game season, if you don't, if you miss a couple games here and there, there's a possibility that you might not make the playoffs. So maybe that's something that, you know, Adam Silva looks into. Who knows if he'll do it, but maybe it's something he looks into. That being said, uh, JJ Reddick and I got into a little, not not really a tissel. Like you know, I, I posted something and I, I I made sure that I tagged him in it on Twitter so he can understand that some of the things that he's saying is lies. Now, when I understand he likes to give Larry Bird credit, he talks about Larry Bird as the greatest player of all time, or I'm sorry, the top ten greatest players of all time, but. At the same time, you are diminishing what he's doing by making the comments that you make after. Well, I watched Steph Curry and Marcus Smart is holding him and he's all over him and this and that. And then I watched Larry Bird on a pin down and, you know, he's wide open. That happens with every single player. And for someone like J.J. Redick, who's played in the NBA, who's played in the league before, who's dealt with being wide open at times, even though he was probably the number one shooter on the court the majority of the times, you know that sometimes people get loose and get free. You know sometimes people are open, okay? I've showed you videos, and I've put up videos where Steph Curry has been free, it happens, but don't disregard Larry Bird and don't be like, you know, 
how do, how do I put it? Don't be condescending by saying, oh, Larry Bird was open when I watched these finals on pin downs because the finals that I watched, 1981, 1984, 1985, 1986, okay, 1987, multiple times on pin downs, he had people all over him. Robert Reed, uh, Michael Cooper, because the last multiple times that he was playing, he had those people on him. Mitchell Wiggins, uh, Andrew Wiggins' dad, a couple of times. I mean, don't don't say that, you know, he, he had a free space and because you watch these games, because some of these people don't watch these games. And they're just gonna go by your word. They're gonna go by what you say because you claim that you watch those games. But if you watch those games, you'd know that Larry Bird wasn't free on these pin downs. Like, at least explain what was happening on some of these plays. And me and you got into it. I tagged you in the video and you responded because you said you were on a plane and this and that and that. And someone said, oh, well, JJ must be rattled because he's responding to all these things. And you said, well, sometimes on a, I'm on a plane and I respond to these things because I need to kill time. But you responded to me on one of the things that you said, talking about illegal defense, and you said these are all double teams, this and that and that. But then when I explained to the 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 sense of during the video, when I talked about how, you know, some of these weren't double teams, some of these people were crowding the paint on the opposite side, being in help defense, which you said LeBron had to deal with all the time for him being a great scorer. And I showed you specific video on that, but you decided to not respond to me. You decided to respond to the other people making fun of the way they were talking and how they were writing and, oh, this doesn't make sense. Maybe you should go and, uh, you know, change this or edit this post a little bit. You decided to respond to them as opposed to respond to someone who watches basketball a ton, who pays attention to all the little things that go on in basketball. But maybe that's just you. Maybe you don't like the confrontation because you want to go on your podcast and then say, oh, well, you know, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that, rather than have this conversation with me. It is what it is. But also, I'd like to address something else that you said, where you said that Larry Bird wasn't a top five all-time three-point shooter. Now, when you're talking about top five all-time three-point shooters, and you say that someone's not a top five all-time three-point shooter, I can understand the numbers don't say it. And the numbers, Larry Bird didn't shoot more than three uh, three-pointers, okay? But at the same time, if you look at his history, when he shot more three-pointers, he had a higher percentage. He was shooting up to the 40s, up to the 42s. I, I don't even know, maybe even a little bit higher, Okay, so you think about that. He's shooting a better percentage when he shoots more. Now, with that being said, look at the league average. The league average was about 29 or 30 because there was no three-pointers when the league came in. He didn't practice three-pointers. So when you got someone who doesn't practice three-pointers as much as everybody else does, but still has a top high percentage in the history of the league at like 38%, how do you not put him as a top five all 
time three-point shooter because you think if you would think that if he practiced it a little bit more like everybody else does in the league today he would be a top tier three-point shooter but even without practicing it he's still one of the top tier three-point shooters that alone should be a case to to put him as a top five all-time three-point shooter now in regards of three-point shooting and percentages and top three-point shooters, there's a lot of people that you missed. And, like, the one person that, like, everybody just excludes when you're talking about top three-point shooters, There, well, actually, there's two. You got Chris Mullen, and no one ever mentions him. And then you got Dale Ellis. Dale Ellis was shooting volume threes in the 80s going into the 90s. And multiple times, multiple times, he shot over 40% from the three-point line, okay? At one point in time, he was shooting 48% from the three-point line while taking four three-pointers, okay? And no one, absolutely no one mentions Dale Ellis. He shot 47% one year while shooting close to 50% from the field. So you're shooting 50% from the field and you're shooting about 48% from the three-point line, okay? And no one, absolutely no one, mentions Dale Ellis as a top five three-point shooter all time. This is where I say that people need to do their history. Because Dale Ellis came in as a power forward. He was supposed to be a power forward. And then he comes in and he starts to become a shooter. He changes his game. He starts to become a shooter. He becomes a small forward, then drops down to a shooting guard. Okay? You're talking about someone who came in at 6'7", six, 6'8", six, where they were looking for him to be a power forward, and then he ends up being a shooter. Now, me transitioning to this and talking about you know Dale Ellis and transitioning his game is... The way that I want to end this, this is where I go to my segue. When you talk about, oh, this person wouldn't be able to play today because they didn't play like this. Dale Ellis is a prime example. He was going into the league as a power forward and transitioned and worked hard and became a shooting guard. Brooke Lopez was never a three-point shooter. But because he worked at it, he became a three-point shooter, a solid three-point shooter, someone who you have to respect out on the perimeter. So when someone says, oh, so-and-so didn't shoot threes back then, they wouldn't be able to play today. It just makes me, it, it just lets me know that you don't understand the game, you don't understand how greatness works, and you don't understand how players Find ways to adjust to make themselves a threat. And especially if you're great, you do whatever you can to make yourself continue to be great. Now, with that being said, uh, this has been another edition of One in a Million. This is a short edition. Uh, today, the Celtics will be playing the New York Knicks, who I always think is a bad matchup for us. I just don't know why we have such a tough matchup for us with the New York Knicks. I am calling that the Knicks are going to lose this game. The Celtics are finally going to get out of a little bit of a slump, and they're going to come out hard, uh, especially after that 28-point 
uh, let up that they had versus the Nets. And that's the reason why in the beginning of this show, I put Jason Tatum hitting a step back three because I didn't want to start off with something that happened two days ago, which was us getting smacked and uh, us not playing strong and tough and having the mental toughness to be able to close out the game. So I started with something a little bit different. Uh, Also, KD and the Suns, they're going to be scary. Uh, I'm just going to say that. And last but not least, I wanted to bring up the fact that I had said multiple times on my podcast and last year on Twitter, I had said that give DeMontis Sabonis one year on the Sacramento Kings and the Sacramento Kings are going to be someone that you need to watch out for. And sure enough, I guess I'm a prophet because the Sacramento Kings are continuing to do what they do best, and that is play. And all these teams that keep saying they want to play Sacramento Kings in the first round uh, because they don't have the experience, remember, Sacramento, when you play there during the playoffs, they are a hell of a home fan base. They are like a six-man because they they get crazy. So, Don't be so hyped up to play the Sacramento Kings in the first round because they defend. They have a good defensive coach in Mike Brown. They push the tempo and they play together. And that's all you can ask for from a team. And I say watch out for the Sacramento Kings because they're going to be tough. Like I said, this has been another edition of One in a Million, a short edition. I am your host, Roland Roland Million. Damn, I don't even know how to say my own name. But hopefully... You will be tuning in. We will have a lot more episodes, and hopefully we'll get my man Dime Dropper right back on this podcast so we can talk about the Clippers and his anger and, and, and some other things. All right? All right. Take care.